Okay, thank you, worship team, and good morning, New Hope Church. Hope everybody's doing well. Excited about Food Truck Sunday? All right, a few people. Some of you are like, come on, preacher, I've got this sermon, right? We got, we got food trucks out there, and, and we're getting hungry. So uh, it's going to be a great time. I'm so glad you're here, and hopefully you're planning to stick around. We've got the, the three trucks out there, and as you saw coming in, there's games. And, and really just to be together and laugh and, and get to know one another, that's really what this is all about. So glad you're here this morning. Also glad because today we are beginning a brand new sermon series. It's called Lies That We Believe. So hopefully you have a bulletin with you. And also, if you would, if you have your Bible with you, please uh, turn to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, super easy. We're going to start off in chapter 3 this morning, but uh, I'm excited about this series. This is going to be really an important four-week time together taking on this theme, this topic of the lies that we believe, because whether you realize it or not, every single day, every single one of us is engaged in a battle, and it's a battle inside of your mind, and it's a battle about what you're going to choose to believe to be true. And, 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 the, and the things that you choose to believe, whatever, if it's true or it's a lie, it's going to have a dramatic impact on your life. And this happens with, um, with little things in life, you know, like, like how the Cyclones are way better than the Hawkeyes, right? So we've got that. There's, all right, we've got some hallelujahs going on out there. Good. Okay. I'm getting some glares from other people. That's all right. That's right. It's awful. You look good in your sports jerseys out there, everybody. So, so good job with that. No, but in all seriousness, whether it's the little things in life or, or it's the big things in life, we believe stuff. And the things that we believe have a big impact on our life. In fact, on your bulletin, uh, backside there, hopefully you can fill in some blanks here. Here's your first fill in the blank. Because this idea is so important. This really does capture everything with these four weeks together that we're going to be talking about. And here it is. It's this idea that your beliefs form the tracks that your life runs on. What you believe about any number of things forms the tracks, or if you want to use a different analogy, forms the ruts that your life runs upon. See, what you believe is not some secondary trait. It's really everything. Because the things that you've adopted, the beliefs that you have, that's what shapes your priorities. That's what shapes your perspective, your worldview, your actions, your dreams, your goals, the way you treat people, your relationships. I mean, just everything is encapsulated by the beliefs that you have. And so in many ways, in every way, in fact, your life runs on the tracks of your beliefs. And that's why this is important. Therefore, you and I, we should strive to believe what is true. Because if we put our lives, if we base our lives, if the tracks we run on the, become lies, things that aren't true, the result is going to be harm. The result is going to be a negative impact in our lives. We should strive always to believe what is true. But having heard that, the reality is, for you and for me, is that at various times, for various reasons, we all believe lies. We just do. We believe lies like this. We believe lies like this, that, uh, that God can't forgive what I've done. Some of us, we believe that to our core. Th that I'm different or what I've done is so bad that God could never forgive that. Or we believe things like, like I can't help the way that I am. Or how about this one? If circumstances were different, then I'd be different. That's a lie. Or we believe maybe, maybe some of you this morning even, God doesn't love me. God couldn't love a person like me. Or maybe even for some of you, it goes even a step further with this idea of, of I think if there's a God, he's actually out to get me. 
See, uh, things like that all the time. We, we grab a hold of these things. They're not true, but, but for us, they might as well be. And we adopt them. We believe them. And then it becomes, again, the tracks that our lives run on. But the direction it takes us hurts us. See, a believed lie has the power to control. It has the power to destroy, to ruin. I mean, all these things, it, it impacts our lives. You know this as well as I do in our lives. This is the impact that it has. And so what we want to do over the next four weeks is we want to take time and talk about this. And what we want to do is we're not covering every lie, obviously, but we want to, to expose a few, but probably some lies that maybe most of us in this room, if not today, at some point in our lives, we have held on to them and we have believed them and we've embraced them. And what we want to do is we want to expose the lie and then we want to replace the lie with the truth of God's word so that we renew our thinking. In a sense, I want you and I to spend some time, four weeks, thinking about our thinking. Because the battle is between your ears. That's where it takes place. And every single one of us to evaluate what am I believing and where am I grabbing a hold of that? And is it true? This is so important. You guys, if, if we can really grab a hold of this, this is a game changer. This is a game changer for how you and I live daily life. For some of you, you're going to experience some freedom here in the next few weeks as we talk about these things and we address how do you go after, combat the lies that you and I believe. This is really important. So hopefully you're in the book of Genesis at this point. If not, uh, you can follow along on the screen behind. Or if you have a tablet or smartphone, uh, uversion.com is a great app. You can pull it up digitally and follow along the scriptures there. But Genesis chapter 3 is where I want to begin. Because what we're going to go do is go back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, and look at the first lie. Now this is an account, a story. I, I imagine most of you or many of you, you're familiar with the story. But I want us to deep dive for a moment to look at something specific. Because what we're going to see here in these verses and in this account is really the playbook, the age-old playbook for how deception happens, for how the, the enemy that you and I have, how he works in your life and in my life to get us to buy the lies that he wants us to buy. And once we see the playbook, it hasn't changed. It's the same, it's the same today for you and I as it was for Adam and Eve. And so we want to see what that playbook looks like for you and I. So let's go ahead and jump in. Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, now the serpent, and this is, this is the devil, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He, again the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's push pause real quick. The question is, is that what God said? Now to find that answer, leave your finger there, turn back a page or so to Genesis chapter 2. Now, again, you're going to follow on the screen behind if you don't have that. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now we see this is what God actually said. This was the command. God said this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You notice the difference? It's very subtle. In fact, hit the next slide if you would, please. On this side over here, left side, that's what God said. On the right side is what the snake said. And it's so subtle, but notice there is a difference here. Where God says, you're free to eat from any tree you want except this one over here. But what does Satan do? How does he kind of get in there a little bit with some doubt about who God is? He asks the question to raise the doubt for Eve. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, he didn't say that. But what is he doing? He's getting in there and he's planting some doubt uh, about what God said. 
Now remember, in chapter 2, God spoke to Adam about this command. Now Satan goes after Eve. There had to have been a translation here between Adam and Eve. But nonetheless, we're going to see here uh, um, how she responds here in just a moment because the subtlety is important. Now, next fill in the blank. Here's a principle I want us to pull out of this so far. Here it is. So important, so important. It's this, that problems always begin when God's truth is either adjusted or ignored. You want to trace it back to your life and mind of when we get ourselves into problem, when our thinking takes us in places that we shouldn't go? It's because we're not here, and we're not getting truth from here. And we, either we adjust what God says, we're going to see Eve do in just a moment, or we ignore it completely. And we kind of figure, I can just kind of do what I want and the way I want and figure it out the way I want. And all of a sudden, things go sideways, and we wonder, well, what happened? Here we see, again, we need Scripture. We need to know what God says. Because what happens here with this moment of doubt planted in Eve's mind, what we're going to see is she is not ready for this. She's not. And Satan knows it, and he's going to pound her super hard. We're going to see how it plays out here in just a moment. Notice how Eve responds, verse 2. It says, The woman said to the serpent, back to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden." But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Well, actually, God didn't say that part, did he? And you must not touch it, or you will die. And actually, what God said is you will certainly die. And I know it sounds like, well, what's the difference? There is a subtle difference there. So you'll notice again here that that Eve does not repeat God's command uh, completely or accurately. It's fuzzy. It's kind of like her version of it. Satan knows that's not exactly what God says. And so what we're going to see him do is he just goes for it. And he attacks her with everything that he has. Look with me at verse 4. Satan says this, a barrage of lies coming at Eve. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Twisting. Not quite right. But sort of right. Deceit. This is what he plants in her. And here's what happened. By the time we get to verse 6, Eve has bought the lie. She's bought it. She believes it. And you'll notice what she's going to do here in verse 6 is that she's going to do what you and I do all the time. And that is she's going to sell herself on the lie she's already decided to believe. You do this and so do I. We make a decision about what we're going to do or we have a belief that we hold and then we spend time justifying it and convincing ourselves that it's true. And we spin it and we sway it and whatever it is that tool we want to use, but we, do, we go through this process to sell ourselves on what we already believe. Look with me at what Eve does because she does this exactly to the T. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now I want you to notice the progression of what happened here, because here we've got this account, but embedded in this account, we have this four-step, I'm calling it a playbook, this four-step process that just took place here. And it happened with Eve in the garden that day, and it happens in your life and my life every single day of our lives. And here's how it works. And these are some fill-in-the-blanks for you, because here's how the progression works. Number one, she listened to the lie. 
She, she listened to the lie. I mean, Satan shows up as the serpent and, she, and begins to speak to Eve and she begins to entertain the suggestion. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's better to run away from snakes than to have conversations with them. Good thing to remember. Who are the snakes in your life? They show up. They show up in billboards and media ads and books and music and friends and people that we know that, that have different beliefs or say different things. And sometimes we talk to them and we entertain it versus running. But that's what Eve does. The serpent shows up and she enters a dialogue with it. She begins to entertain what he's saying. That's step one. She listened to the lie. Step two, she considered the lie. She begins to think about it. She begins to mull it over. She begins to kind of process through what he's saying. And, and, and really, you begin to see this, this shift. She begins to ignore what God had said and, and to entertain what this serpent is saying. And all of a sudden, the doubt that the evil one is planting in her mind, she begins to play with that too. You know, maybe, maybe God isn't good. And maybe God is holding back. And, and why not that tree, God? It looks pretty good. And what kind of God would do that? You see what I'm saying? She begins to, to play with this idea. So she listens to the lie. She, she considers the lie. Number three, here's what happens with you and I too. Then she believed the lie. She believed it. She grabbed a hold of it. She embraced it as her own. She's essentially believing that what the serpent is saying to her is more trustworthy than what God had said already. She believed it. She listened to it. She considered it. She believed it. And remember, what you believe are the tracks that your life runs upon. And so number four has to happen. It has to. Number four, she acted on the lie. She lived it out because she had to, because she believed it. And she ate the fruit. That's the playbook. Exposed. There it is. Uh, imagine even this coming Saturday, Hawkeye Cyclones playing each other and one team or the other had the playbook for the other team and knew exactly the plays they were going to run. This is essentially what we're talking about. You have the playbook. It's really this simple. This is how it works, but we fall for it over and over and over again. I mean, I don't know about you, but if, if you just consider your life like I could consider mine, the number of times that you've fallen for this, I know I can stand up here so many times and just tell stories of so many times I have, I have fallen for this, continue to fall for this, because it's your story and it's my story. And the hard part is it has consequences. The hard part is that a believed lie has the power to control you. It has the power to ruin you. It has the power to hurt people that you love. It just does. This is really important. A believed lie has all of that. I mean, look at Adam and Eve, and, and really it's our consequences too, the consequences for, for her decision and his to eat the fruit. They were, they were banished from the garden right then at that moment. They, they became a slave to sin. They, they began to experience life in a fallen world. They began to experience the hardships of life. They experienced spiritual death or separation from God. They, they eventually will experience physical death consequences to believing the lie. It's the same with us today. We believe lies. There's consequences. It hurts us. And this is why the goal, the goal that you and I have is that we need to expose the lies and replace the lies with the truth of Scripture. 
We need to expose the lie and replace it with the truth of Scripture and living that out. And that's our goal for the next few weeks. So we're going to be taking time next Sunday. We're going to talk about lies that you and I believe about God. Because for some of us, or if not all of us, there are some things that we're holding to about who God is, and it's not who he is. But they're lies that are impacting our spiritual relationship with him. The week after that, we're going to talk about lies that we believe in just everyday life. Just stuff that we fall into and we hold on to, and it's hurting us. And we're going to talk finally about, well, what's our game plan? And how do we deal with this? And how do we get victory in this area? Because for some of us here in these next four weeks, you're you're going to experience some freedom. As you begin to replace lies with truth, you're going to experience freedom in some areas where you haven't experienced that in a very long time. And this is for all of us, every single one of us. I don't care if you're an adult. I don't care if you're a teenager. This is every single one of us. Because we don't really grow out of this. But we can mature in it. And we can grow. And so here's our plan. What I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is I want to transition from that and talk about our first lie. We're just going to take on one lie. It's, it's not that this is the more, most important lie that we believe. It's just one. It's one that I think is common. I think it's common uh, probably for all of us in this room. To a varying degree, every single one of us deals with this lie. And then we're going to replace it with the truth of Scripture. Here's your first lie. And you're, you're filling the blanks. You can put it in. Here it is. The lie is this. The lie is that I need your approval. The lie is I need your approval. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way for another person? That you're going through life and there's this overarching sense, if not a direct thought of, I need so-and-so's approval of me. I need them to like me. I need them to accept me. I think we all have. I think at some point all of us have had this feeling. And whoever that person or people are for you that you need their approval, the truth of the matter is they're the most important people in your world. Because everything in your world, everything in your life, your life song, if you will, is being played for their approval and needing their approval. Now I want you to hear this. This is, this is really, really important. I need you to hear this. This idea that we think far more about what other people think of us than other people actually think of us. Did you catch that? We think far more about what other people think of us than other people are actually walking around thinking of us. See, sometimes we have this picture in our minds that other people are walking around evaluating our lives like you and I evaluate our lives. They're not. They're not at all. And then what can happen is taken to an extreme is we begin to get so caught up in this mindset of what are other people thinking? What are they thinking? What are they thinking? And we get so caught up in that that we begin to lose sight of who God's created you to be. And all of a sudden you begin to change who you are in order to be like this person that you think they want you to be. We do that, don't we? And we lose sight of of, of God's calling, of God's gifting, of God's provision, of his leadership in your life and in mine because we're, we're doing this. We're, we're seeking the approval of others. We become people pleasers. We become approval addicts, don't we? And it's exhausting. It's an exhausting way to live life. It's a story about a boy and his grandfather. And uh, they're going on a journey. It's a long journey and they set out on the road. It's the boy, the grandfather, and they have their donkey with them. And as they set out, the elderly grandfather sits on the donkey while the young boy grabs the reins and they begin walking down the road to go to their destination. 
But as they're walking, the crowds that see the scene begin to gossip, begin to call out. Look at that old grandfather. How rude is that? Making the, the young boy walk? What kind of grandfather does that? And they heard that, so they stopped and they decided to switch places. So the grandfather gets down, they put the little boy up on the donkey, and they continue on with their journey. But it didn't take much longer before the crowds called out. Look at that young boy up there. All that youth and vigor, and he's making the old grandfather walk. I mean, what, who does that? Like, that's, that's so rude. Why would the young grandson do that? That's, that's a terrible thing, terrible thing. And so they stopped, and they heard that, and they said, well, huh. All right, how about this? And so they, they both get down, and they both uh, begin to walk along and walk the donkey. And they go down the trail walking the donkey. Well, then the crowds call out and say, well, aren't they stupid? I mean, who does that? Perfectly good donkey, and they're both walking the donkey. Like nobody's riding on the donkey. Like who does that? And so they, the grandfather and the, and the young grandson hear that. And so they decide, well, okay. And so they both get on the donkey. And they begin to walk down their ride this time, riding down the road, both riding the donkey. Well, of course, the crowds jump in again and say, well, look at them, big dummies. They're going to break their donkey. I mean, that's so mean to the donkey. How could you do that? You can't win. And so the grandfather and the son, in fact, last time they were seen going down the road, they were walking down the road carrying the donkey, right? I mean, <laughs> and here's the principle. I mean, the thing is, if, if, if you live life for that approval of other people, you're going to end up carrying your donkey. And it's tiring. And it's sometimes ridiculous. But it's a place we find ourselves in all the time in life. So what do we do about it? Next fill in the blank. Here's the principle. And let me give you a little just foreshadowing. It's the same action step or principle next week, and it's the same action step principle the following week and every other week. But here it is. It's this idea that you and I, we need to combat the lie with truth. The lie right now, this morning, the lie is I need your approval. That you need my approval or vice versa or anybody else in your world. We want to combat the lie with truth. So what's truth? Let me share with you some scriptures. There's truth. First, I want to take you to what Jesus said. Because Jesus talks about this. And what he said is so succinct and so clear. And I think so convicting. Look with me just on the screen behind. John chapter 5, verse 44. Look what it says. It says this. How can you believe? In other words, how can you have faith, faith in God? How can you believe if you accept praise from one another? Uh-huh. Okay, I'm with you on that. If you accept praise from one another but make no effort... To obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Ouch. That's convicting. I mean, Jesus calling it out black and white. How, how can you believe? How, how can your faith be in place if you're, if you're eager to obtain praise from people, but you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from God? And what Jesus is calling out here is it's not just difficult to live that way, it's impossible to live that way. That, that you can't live a life seeking the approval of people and the approval of God at the same time and in the same way. They're opposites. And so he calls out with a question, how can you believe? How can you believe? Paul echoes the same thing. Look with me in the next verse, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? That's exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? He said this, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant 
of Christ. Notice Paul says here, and he, he is very vulnerable in saying that he points out, if I were still trying to please people, what he's saying here is, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm a recovering uh, approval addict. Like this was me. This was how I lived life. And if I were still trying to live that way, would, would I be following Jesus? Because he recognized that road is two different roads that you and I can walk down. And you can't walk down both roads at the same time. You have to choose. And so he calls out here this very idea, this distinction here. He says, look, when I tried to please people, I wasn't pleasing the Lord. And, and so it brings it all to the surface, doesn't it? What are we going to do? How, how are we going to respond? There was a guy who lived in the 1800s. His name was Edwin Booth. Here's a picture of him. And Edwin is uh, famous in his own right, but Edwin is most known for being the older brother of John Wilkes Booth, the famous assassin who killed Abraham Lincoln. And Edwin, again, the older brother, that destroyed him. He couldn't believe his brother had done that. But Edwin, in his own right, had fame. Edwin was a famous actor. He, he loved the theater just like John Wilkes, and he was involved in that. In fact, he was, he was famous during his day. He was known by many, and many even to this day consider him the greatest Hamlet of all time. He did Shakespearean theater, and he was just just wowed the crowd. He was so good and so famous that he had his own theater house, in fact. Well-known, well-loved, and appreciated. One time, true story, he was in London performing Hamlet, actually. And one particular night, there was uh, terrible weather. The, the London fog had come in, and it was it, you just people couldn't see. It was raining. It was just, just gross and nasty. And, and so uh, people stayed home. And it got close to curtain time for the show. And the cast was kind of peeking through and looking out in the house. And there was just a couple people, I mean, a few, peppered in the, in the audience. And so they went back to Edwin. They said, Edwin, look, there's just nobody here. Like, what's the point? Let's just send them home and cancel the show. The weather's terrible. What are you going to do? And Edwin looked at them and said, no, we're not going to do that. And the cast kind of pushed back a little bit and said, but there's nobody here. I mean, why would we, why would we do this? It's kind of hard to get, like, you know, pumped up for the show when there's, like, 20 people, 10 people, whatever, out in the crowd. And he said something interesting. He told his cast, he said, look, I want you to play I want you to do this as if the king were himself were in the audience tonight. He said this, this is his very words. He said to them famously today, he said, the king sits in every audience. He said, play to the king. Play to the king. So the show went on. And that night, some say that Edwin put in his best performance he'd ever done. Just to the handful of people that were in the nearly empty theater house. But he gave it everything he had. Show was over, night was over, people went home. Next day, he's going about his business when he receives a letter. It has the royal seal on it. Kind of surprised him. He opens it up, and it's a letter from King George V. See, what nobody knew was that night, King George was in the audience. He was in the back row. He had come that night because he figured nobody else would. And he wore some street clothes and he you know, just didn't want to deal with all the, all the stuff, so to speak. And he slipped out with a few others and he was in the crowd that night to watch that performance. You know what this is? This is a good reminder that no matter where you find yourself in life, what you're doing with your family, work, friends, whatever it is, can I encourage you this morning, play to the king, play to the king. Another verse talks about this. I'll close with this verse here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. 
It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, seek the Lord's approval. Play to the king. So, so when you find yourself in a position where peer pressure is coming at you, and it's like, that, what am I going to do? Approval of others, approval of God? Can I encourage you? Play to the king. When you have pressure coming at you to, to act a certain way, to dress a certain way, to talk a certain way, play to the king. Play for an audience of one. Make it, make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to hear from your Lord, Savior, and Maker. Well done, good and faithful servant. That that would be the most important thing. But here's the reality. We can hear this and we can agree with it. But a lot of us won't do it. And here's why. You won't do it because it's hard. You, you won't do it because there's a good chance that if you, if you and I live this out and we say, I'm going to live my life for an audience of one, that at some point you're going to get hurt. At some point, you're going to get rejected. That the people that you hope like you or the friend group you hope you're a part of or, or just to be accepted by somebody, it's not going to work out. And you might find yourself alone at times. People can be cruel. But I don't care if you're a teenager. I don't care if you're in your 20s, 30s, 50s, 70s. It does not matter because we don't grow out of this. That at some point, you and I have to make a decision. Who's voice matters more. And who am I going to play to? We can mature in this one, but we can't outgrow it because it comes to all of us. Is it the applause of people, groups, friends, whatever the case may be, strangers even, that you don't even know. So much of our lives we orient to people who we don't even know and don't even care. Or are we going to do it for our Lord and Savior? I'd like to invite the band to come on up here, uh, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to close out in worship, but, but I want to I pray for us because this is, this is big and this is hard, but this is a lie. The lie is I need the approval of people, but the truth that we want to replace it with, the truth is you don't. That you and I can play to the king and we can live our lives. That whatever we do, we do it for him. And we replace the lie to say, you know what? The truth is, God has called me to live for him. And I know the choice is mine. Every day, you've got to make that choice. Who am I going to play to? My encouragement and my prayer in my life as well as yours, we're all in the same boat, is that we would pick our Lord and Savior and play to him. Let's pray together and then we're going to worship. Father, we're, we're praying because we recognize on something like this that we're not able in our own strength to do this. That, Father, while we could have the ambition to say, I want to play to the king, and, and that you would be our audience, and that to hear, to hear your words of approval matter more than anything. But the truth is, tomorrow comes, and the next day, and the challenges are there. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us? And would you, Lord, help us to be mindful to replace the, tr the lie with truth and to hang on to that truth. Father, we're so excited to hear and to see what you're going to do for the next few weeks as we take on this topic. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand together for one more song. Uh, last song today is Build My Life. Um, I'm coming to really, really like this song, but I think it speaks really to what Pastor's saying, that uh, we have to make choices as to who we build our life upon, especially when it comes to approval. So maybe keep that on your heart as we sing this last song together this morning.